we come this morning, wow, just amazing to see and feel the spirit of homecoming of all saints, of even Martin Luther and the Reformation. A kingdom that almost feels like it's not too far away. For a moment, our voices are united. For a moment, we are singing the same songs and we're hearing the same words and we're remembering the same things that have been done for hundreds and hundreds of years. Even thousands. But this Lord this morning, pour into the words of what it means in Hebrews for this great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean for us? What are these saints And Lord, how do we live our lives when we struggle? When we want to give up? When we want to call it quits? How do we listen to these saints, these witnesses, and you speaking to us? Lord, for somebody who's here in that place this morning, I especially ask you to turn their heart into that place of listening with ears that can hear. And allow your Holy Spirit to light upon all of us that are gathered here and all those at home and just simply let the Word rest inside of us in that place we need to hear it the most. So Lord, invade us now. Change us. Stir us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. And everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. I invite you to be able to follow along with version. I did get a version done for this, so there is sermon notes. So if that's your favorite thing to do, then they're there. If you're wondering about the fill in the blanks, the problem is when I go to create the fill in the blanks, when I go to save it again, it takes them all out. After about three times of doing that and trying not to lose my religion, I usually just give up. So I think it's bolded is really a fill in the blanks. If you want to cover up your finger, you can cover it up when you get to that part. But I can't seem to make those fill in the blanks work anymore. So as we talked about this morning, there really is a strong connection between the Reformation, All Saints Day, and even Halloween. In fact, I learned that Martin Luther intentionally chose the date of October 31st to, to post his things. But why on Halloween, the day before All Saints Day? Why not All Saints Day? It would seem a better sense. Well, All Saints Day, also called All Hallows Day, say hello. Hello to you too. That's nice. I'm going to separate you two. Sean says it's you. It was officially established in May, that's what it used to be, originally as All Martyrs Day. Do you remember all the Christian martyrs, those who had died in the faith? Because they no longer had enough days in the calendar, think about this, no longer had enough days in the calendar to celebrate them individually. Too many had died, they had to create one day to begin to celebrate them all. Later it was changed to include Christian saints and the Pope moved its observance from May to November 1st. Now it's assumed he did this to coincide with the Roman holiday of Feralia and the Celtic festival of 
Sawin. Say Sawin. It is nothing like it's spelled. Sawin. Feralia was a holiday observed by the Romans in late October to commemorate those who had died the previous year. Sound familiar? And, and Samhain was celebrated on the eve of November 1st. November 1st is the Celtic New Year. Stay with me. It's like the exposition in the movie, you know, with all the part they try to explain to you really quickly as they try to go to the plug they're trying to get to. Part of Celtic belief was the night before the New Year, the ghosts of the dead came back to walk the earth. And as part of that celebration, they had huge bonfires and would wear costumes to confuse the spirits who were haunting and destructive. So these parties took place on the eve of all saints, or all hallows, say hallow, right? All hallows day. The holiday, the night before, was called what? All hallows eve. Which when you put it all together, comes out to be Halloween. So the Protestant Reformation began on October 31st, 1517. I mean, it didn't really fall on a Sunday. This is exactly the day. When Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk, nailed a notice to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. This is the actual church. These were his 95 theses, not Reese's. That's a lot of Reese's. That's good, but Dan's into that. Okay, don't eat that many, Dan. That's not good for you. A list of grievances he had against the teachings of the Catholic Church, who he served. Among them were the teaching that a priest or a monk had to intercede between a believer and God. And the idea of earning your way into heaven. Believers would be able to get to heaven only through charitable acts or the purchase of what was called indulgences. Okay? It's believed the promotion and funding the rebuilding of St. Peter's Basilica, another one where everybody likes, it's beautiful, somebody had to pay for it. In Rome, it was finally what triggered Luther's actions. He'd had enough. So Martin Luther instead would focus on five alones instead. Say alone. So he did by scripture, alone. By faith, alone. By grace, alone. Through Christ, Alone, glory to God alone. These were the basic pieces and are the basic pieces of our faith as Protestants, Protestants. Now, during the Middle Ages, the church doors were used as a bulletin board. You ever seen one of those anymore? It's not electronic. It's an actual board. You post things on it. It has a little pin. You stick it in there. People take things. Remember all those little tabs before where you pull the tab off to get that number and take it home with you? Because you didn't have a cell phone either. You took it home to you. Use your landline. All the youth, please do not pass out. Phones had a cord. And they would post these public notices for people to read. So Martin Luther chose October 31st, guess why? All Hallows' Eve, as the day to process complaints because of the great number of people who would be coming on the Sunday, on November, not necessarily a Sunday, but on the day of November 1st. They said they didn't care if it was Sunday or not. They came to church. So they would come like on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Thursday. I know, Kim, wow, wow. Yeah. 
So he posted it the night before, October 31st, because he knew everybody was coming on November the 1st. Because they're required to attend. That's why October 31st is Reformation Day. There's the five things in Latin. Saints. We normally think of saints as people who have led holy and exemplary lives, don't we? We use a rattle moth pretty good. Mother Teresa makes the top of the list somewhere. We use it always. If you know any saint at all, that's usually the one we do. But Augustine, Francis of Assisi, the Apostle Peter and Paul maybe you consider to be saints. And yet the Apostle Paul addressed many of his letters to the saints. Say saints. He said to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Philippi. Who were these saints then? Well, they were people like you and me, see. They were saints by virtue of our baptism into Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're not saints because we are without sin. Martin Luther said that we are simultaneously saint and sinner. Amen? Almost in the same breath, maybe. We were pronounced holy by God because Jesus has taken away our sins by nailing them to his cross. Hebrews 10.14 explains how this was done. By one sacrifice, say one, Jesus, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. A man and his five-year-old son were, were walking through a beautiful church and there was bright light coming from all the windows of the stained glass. You ever been in a place like that? The church where it's just beautiful and you're just like, wow. As the boy looked at the window, he asked, who are all the people in the windows, Daddy? They're saints, his father asked. And of course, the five-year-old boy asked what? What are saints? And as the father was stuck trying to figure out how to explain what a saint was to his son, and as the boy kept looking out the window and, and seeing all this beautiful light and these colors, the father was still wondering. The boy shouted out, I know what a saint is, Daddy. They are the people that the light shines through. They are the people that the light shines through. So saints can be great people like Mother Teresa, Francis. But saints can be ordinary people. People like you and me. People who have given their hearts over to Jesus. People that the light of God, the light of the Holy Spirit shines through. You ever known somebody like that? The light of God just shines right through them and you can almost just physically see it. Those are saints. And so in Hebrews 12, the, the great scripture that very much goes to All Saints Day all the time, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, say witnesses, witnesses. So who makes up this great cloud of witnesses? Well, chapter 11 tells us that. 
It describes them as those who did marvelous works for the glory of God. It reminds us of the faith and the faithfulness of heroes like Abel and Abraham and Moses. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of the heroes of the past, named and unnamed, to prepare the heroes of the present and the heroes of the future. Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who are about to face great hostility and persecution in the Roman Empire that no longer allowed them to be Christians. And so we tend to think of martyrs, say martyrs, as people who have shed their own blood for the faith, right? Or for some cause to go even broader. As saints, and rightly so. But the real meaning, the original meaning of the word martyr is, what do you think, you know, that word means? It actually means witness. To be a martyr isn't necessarily to die, but it's to be a witness. A witness to the faith in your life. And be willing to die if it takes that. Or injured or insulted. This witness. And many Christians at the time that Hebrews was written would testify to their faith in Jesus Christ by giving up their lives. Are you prepared to do that? It's a bigger question for us today. And there are many around the world who actually get asked this question all the time. We've long forgotten about Afghanistan since all the soldiers got pulled out and people were hanging off the wheels of the plane and everything else, but they're still there every day. Every day having to have somebody come to their door or being fearful, coming to the door and asking, do you believe in Jesus? Or do you believe in Allah? Who are you going to serve? But it happens in countries all over the world. India, Pakistan. Africa. And so Hebrews is being written to these people who are being persecuted. So when the writer of Hebrews speaks of so great cloud of witnesses, say witnesses, the picture he's trying to paint is that. All those who have expressed their faith, shared their faith, died for the faith over all of the millennia. Because imagine this. Imagine we're standing in an arena in Rome. You can, the Roman Colosseum, someplace else, wherever you want to. Imagine you're standing on the ground, not up like looking around at it like it's some kind of archaeological exhibit. But you're standing on the sand in the middle of the arena at the front doors, getting ready to go into a place that's as big as Titan Stadium and larger in some ways. And you're not the spectators. We're not the spectators. We're the spectacle. The Christians are the spectacle. They're the ones being brought in for the show. And then imagine we stand together in the arena and we await our fate like one of these classic paintings that shows all the Christians huddled together with a leader and a lion who's been led in through the underpart of the arena. And we have no idea what's going to come through those gates. Gladiators, wild animals, chariots. What's going to be today's spectacle? We were discussing this in our Bible study the other night. You know, just lined up really perfectly with what we were talking about and about Philippi and the great Colosseum and the believers who were there and, and their faith being on trial. 
And then imagine this, in the stands, there are actually people who are cheering for your death. It'd be like if the balcony right now was cheering for everybody on the floor to die. Please don't do that. That's not very nice. Okay, John, that's, I saw that. <laughs> Get the thumbs down, right? <laughs> but imagine that that whole arena is filled with people screaming for your blood, for your death. Like if you're a Titans game. Or a Predators game. And in that moment, says the writer of Hebrews, we have to remember there's another stadium. He's telling them there's a heavenly stadium filled with millions of people who have stood where you stand. Who went through what you're about to go through. Who are not cheering on your death, but are cheering for your victory. You see. And the idea... It's not to look at the stands where thousands are calling for your death because they were all around them as they walked in. Who didn't even know who they were, just wanted to see them die because their beliefs were different. But for the millions who have run the race before you who are cheering you on in the ultimate victory of life. Imagine those words were meant to the Hebrew, to the people of that group that are going in to hear those words before they go in to face what they're going to face. No way out of it. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, he says. I love that image. Sin weighs us down. It keeps us away from God. It drags on us. It pulls on us. It breaks us. The wandering of the children of Israel in the desert is an example of how sin can weigh us down. Their unbelief, their, their lack of trust, their lack of faith in God's promises caused them to wander 39 and a half years more than they had to wander. Wasn't that long of a journey. Imagine if your GPS told you to go around the circle about 400 times and you still did it. That sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? That's what the Israelites did. They didn't trust God. And he says, let us run with perseverance, say perseverance, that race that is set before us, right? One of the famous verses, right? And the Greek word the writer of Hebrews used for perseverance or endurance should sound familiar to us. It's agon. And guess what word comes from agon? Agony. Nice job, Linda. Agony. Perseverance is agony. A little different, isn't it? Agony. Say agony. Oh, I'm in agony. Gloom and despair. Now, when we picture a marathon, we picture a race, right? Starting line, there's a finish line, and one winner crosses the finish line first. But let me tell you, Anybody who can go from the start line to the finish line and cross it, whether it takes them a day and a half or two hours, is a winner to me. Amen? And if you haven't run one, and I haven't, who has run a marathon? Now I'm just curious. Who's run a marathon in this room? Nisa, hold her hand up, Barry. I just picked you out, too. Some of us haven't run a marathon, right? We don't know what it's like to do 26.2 miles. But it takes perseverance to push through the agony, doesn't it? It's at mile 23, I believe, where the breaking point is, where you've lost everything and there's nothing left to be able to give and you've still got that little bit to go. <laughs> a little bit. 
Your legs feel like spaghetti. Every cell in your body is screaming for you to stop. You're tired. Your energy has run out. Everything is gone from you. And your body is screaming for you to quit. And when you run the Boston Marathon or the New York Marathon or the Nashville Marathon, whatever, the country music, you don't just get to go where you want to go, right? You don't start at the start and go, okay, I'm going to go this way and you go that way. And we're going to see how that's going to work for us, right? You are all running the race in the same direction, right? You don't run four different directions. You run one direction the same way on the same laid out course. And for the saints, for us, and before us, it's no different. Our course is laid out by the Bible, right? It tells us how to run. It tells us where our faith is and be able to go down that path, no matter how fast we might go. And he says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We know that we can persevere, right? We know that we can endure. We know we can finish the race because Jesus has run the race before us. Amen? And we look at the clouds of witnesses that are cheering us on, right? We know we can persevere. We know we can endure. We know we can finish the race that's set. Because the ones that came before us cheering us on, they persevered, right? They endured. They finished the race that was set before them. So if they can do it, obviously we can do it too. Who for the sake of the joy that was set before him... Did you hear it? For the sake of the what? Joy. Say joy. Joy. For the sake of the joy, right? The sake of the joy that was set before him, it takes perseverance, right? It takes agony to get to that place. But the joy that awaited Jesus on the other side of his agony on the cross was exactly what he was looking towards instead. It's what motivated him to press on and not give up. And if Jesus' promise is that same kind of joy that we're going to experience in the same way, that motivates and inspires the saints to finish their race. And it's the same reward that motivates us and inspires us today. It's the same as it's always been since the beginning of the church. And endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And during Roman times, there was one special seat at the Colosseum or whatever arena it is that was set apart for the dignitary who sponsored the game. Usually, but not always, the dignitary was the Roman emperor who was called the Son of God. Right? We learned about this in the last several weeks. The title Son of God was given to the Roman Emperor. And before the start of every game or contest, the athletes would stand before the Emperor or the game sponsor and offer their victory or declare their honor in dying on that sponsor's behalf or the Emperor's behalf. Gladiators, for example, or the most familiar, would profess this Hail Caesar! What? We who are about to die salute you. And that's how the games would begin. So standing in the arena, the writer of Hebrews reminds them to look past the Son of God who has the power of life 
and death here on this earth. And the emperor certainly had that. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs down. To look past the Son of God who has the power of life and death over the body and look to the true Son of God who has power over your eternal soul. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them. When you walk into the arena, you may die in body, but the Son of God will save your soul and you'll spend eternity in joy as you lose your life in this world. And so he says, fix your heart. Fix your gaze on the perfecter of your faith. Not the destroyer of your life. Who not only sits at the right hand of God, but who came and stood in the arena of life with us. Because see, Jesus did that. He came and stood in the arena of our lives. Willing to go into the battle with us. Willing to be alongside of us when the lions are around us and the gladiators and we feel alone and afraid. And he also has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured. Jesus persevered. Jesus finished the race and received his joy, sitting at the right hand of the Father wearing his crown of victory. And his victory is our victory. Amen? His victory is our victory. He paid the price. It was his death. It was his resurrection that became new life for each one of us. And he finished the race set before. And when we cross the finish line, we can join the cloud of witnesses. It doesn't matter whether you're the first person across the line or you're the last person. All that matters is you keep going, right? That you don't give up. That you continue running the race, he says. And the multitude of saints who surround Jesus on his heavenly throne. And consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. We may never endure that kind of agony to be thrown to the lions, to be in the Colosseum, in the arena. But we must faithfully run the race set before us, whatever it is, and it probably will entail some kind of agony. As Christians, we're not given the promise that things are going to be all right, things are going to be good all the time. We're going to face trials and tribulations. We're going to face a mile 23 where we're ready to give it up. Let me tell you, the last two years, mile 23 in ministry. You got out before the getting was good, my friend. Everybody retired right before said, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I retired before this mess came along. Mile 23 is the breaker. I probably hit that last October a year ago. Still haven't fully recovered from it. But I keep pressing on. Even when I don't want to sometimes. Even when I feel I can't. Because the goal is still there. The race is still to be run. Even when you're dead tired and you're exhausted. Jesus is still there, helping us. 
And there's some of you here this morning who are going through some serious struggles in your life, who have been going through some serious struggles in your life as well. You're hearing in your ear right now, hey, give up. Quit. You'll never make it. Stop trying. It's not worth it. Just give in. Go find that rock to crawl under and hide. Go find that bench to go sit in and just let the world pass you by and don't do anything. Don't listen. Don't listen. Instead, listen to the cheering of the saints. Now when you type in cheering of the saints, this is what you get. New Orleans Saints. I also didn't know that New Orleans, other pictures have them, they all wear bishops' hats at the games. Never thought about that whatsoever. That's a little sacrilegious to me, but I don't know. But, so these fans are very, you know, these are the saints. The saints that are cheering for you. Imagine whatever game you've ever been to where there's been hundreds of thousands or thousands of fans who have been cheering for the same thing, right? Cheering for that player, that player, cheering for the, their team to win. That's the cheering of the saints. It's the shouts of encouragement coming from those who have finished the race. Imagine however you want to imagine it, because I can guarantee you there are no pictures out there of what it looks like. And then look at Jesus, our number one fan, and cheerleader, amen? Here he is at the game. He's cheering. This is like a video or something. This is Jesus. This is what's happening. Jesus is cheering for you. You ever been to a game? This is Jesus. He's not going to Alabama game now, I can tell you that. Just stop it. It wasn't my game apparently either, so it makes it makes the same point. But that's what it's like. He's cheering for you. He's on the he's up there in the front row of the of the stands and he's like over the rail, like wanting you to be able to accomplish. You can do it, he's shouting. You can do it. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep pushing. Keep persevering. Keep enduring. Stay the course. Let the faith sustain you. I promise you, it'll be worth it. Amen? That's what he's shouting. He never gets hoarse shouting. But we don't listen too well, do we? Every other voice in the world shouts at us. We listen all the way. But when Jesus shouts at us and is there, we just don't hear it. Don't die in the wilderness of your disbelief, right? Here you go. A traditional picture of the saints cheering you on. Jesus came to show us the way and all heaven is encouraging us to go the whole distance. There have been some things we never even thought about being going through. And we think that our lives are like completely, you know, agony. Read the stories sometime of some of these saints and what they endured, what they were willing to do. To finish the race, to reach our goal, to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, you have run the good race. Winston Churchill, one of my favorite people in the world, was asked to give a commencement speech one time. When it was time for him to, to get up and speak, he got up, put on his glasses, opened a piece of paper, and the audience wait for the encouraging words that were to come from him, of course. What words of inspiration would this great leader share? They wondered. He looked at the graduates, looked at his paper, 
and he said, never give up. Then he sat back down. Everybody looked at him like, well, I'm sure this couldn't be it. An attempt to be dramatic, maybe. Well, Winston was dramatic. There's got to be more. So then Churchill stood up again, looked around the, world, the room and said, never give up. And sat down again. Still surprised, took off his spectacles and put them back on again. Looked at the graduates themselves and he said, never give up the third time. Folded his paper back up, took his glasses off, sat back down and didn't get up again. So I bet you can guess what advice I'm going to give to you now as I give to myself at the same time. And what is it? Never give up. Never give up, right? Say it. Never give up. Say it again. Never give up, right? Never give up. Run the race that's before you. Remember the saints who have come before us and run the race with endurance and perseverance because we are close. We are not far from the kingdom of God when we do. Amen. I lost the rest of my script somewhere. Why? It was here a minute ago. How did I lose the rest of it? I know what comes next. Told the saints. <laughs> Debbie, how did I lose the other parts of it? Thank you. Today we celebrate the saints. And we decided to do it on this date instead of the next Sunday because we'd all be gathered together in the ways that we would normally be. So we decided that today was a good day to do it, even though it's Halloween, but it's Reformation, and all the things that go with it. So All Saints is an opportunity to give thanks for those who have gone before us in the faith. From the early days of Christianity, there's a sense the church consists of not only living believers, but also those who have gone before us. Hebrews 12 encourages us as Christians to remember that a great cloud of witnesses surrounds us, encouraging us, cheering us on. Charles Wesley, John's brother, in his hymn, Come Let Us Join Our Friends Above, in its first verse, offers a wonderful image of the church through the ages. Let saints on earth unite to sing with those to glory gone, for all the servants of our King in earth and heaven are one. On All Saints Day, we can remember all those who are part of the communion of saints, and we share stories and the names of those Glory to glory gone. So on All Saints Day, let us give thanks for both the saints in glory and those on earth who have led us to Jesus. As they have shared the gospel with us, may we add our voices so someone else may hear about the grace and love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite you... Ah. I realize that yours has double-sided. I'm going to invite you to the litany of the saints that we're going to see on the screen. 
as we think about these saints this morning before we name them in our hearts. We remember, O oh God, 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 Since we are all surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us worship God with joy. Let me put my robe on for this moment. This is a high, holy, sacred moment. Welcome to spend a moment in prayer, centering yourself to remember these folks and the Good Shepherd family who we've lost since February of 2020, and names you might want to lift up as well in your own lives. And now let us remember others in our lives who have gone on to glory and joined the great cloud of witnesses by placing a white rose and ringing a bell of eternity. We invite you to stand for those particularly close to so that you might do that um, to be able to remember. And this is the list of people who have been a part of our fellowship here at Good Shepherd. And after we get done with those, then I'll ask for you to lift names up that you'd like to lift up from your own lives, saints in your lives, and we'll place a rose for them too until either we run out of roses or run out of names. Mary Kay Barras. Earlene Bradley. Ed Garrett. Ray Hamilton. Ken Henshaw. Burl Henshaw. Naziz Ishak. 
Jeanette Lee. Jim McLeod. Betty Seaton. Jack Seifert, Jr., Sr. Sarah Smith. Jim Sir. Virgil Duddy Walden. If you'd simply lift up other names, we'll simply lift them up and place roses as we can. Lift other names you'd like to lift from the congregation. Squires, Lester Burkhart. One last rose for all the saints who have come before in all the years and all the history of the Christian faith. Let us pray. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, strengthen us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. Let us stand together and sing The Church is One Foundation.
rejoicing. Surrounded as you are, it's a great cloud of witnesses. Take courage as you face each new challenge and comfort when you pick yourself up from a fall. And whatever good you choose to do, proceed it with hope, accompany it with prayer, and follow it with thanksgiving. The blessing of God most wonderful, whom the saints have trusted as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will be with you now and evermore. And everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. And it only seems fitting on Reformation Sunday when we don't usually have this to sing the hymn that Martin Luther wrote, particularly as about this day. A mighty fortress is our God. Did you forget? No, I just had how firm a foundation instead of a mighty fortress. It's okay. Did you not have it either? Okay. I'm so sorry. Just one moment. One moment. One, number 110. A mighty fortress is our God. 110 in the hymnal. Number in one in your heart. Do we have hymnals? Not yet. Not yet. We will, though. The older adults have taken on the task of cleaning them and putting them back in. Apologies. So you can't pull it up. That's what I think, right? I chose one and four. One, we get one at least, right? Okay, here we go. Oh, we have it. Here we are all together now. Look at you. All right. Martin Luther, be proud of us. Amen, amen. Amen. Go with God this day. Come join us for, for lunch in the, in the gym. In the case, what are you saying? You are dismissed.